your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brutal. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. In today's episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show, I sit down with specialist in functional neurology, Kusha Karabandi. He's also the innovator behind the BFR bands, which stands for blood flow restriction or blood flow modulation. And this is a type of training that actually decreases temporarily, short-term blood flow to the muscles that you are strengthening and addressing with resistance training. And this increases lactic acid. It decreases the amount of blood flow that's able to get back to the heart, or at least it decreases the rate that blood flow is able to get back to the heart through the venous system. And this creates a number of positive hormonal and biochemical cascades in the body that lead to increased strength and size. So that's what we're going to talk about in this episode, blood flow modulation training to build size and strength without lifting heavy weights. This gets more and more important as we get older and we start to realize that when you start lifting heavy, if you're not careful, you can increase your risk of injury. But then you start asking yourself questions. Well, what if I could get these same benefits without as much mechanical tension on my joints and muscles and connective tissue. If you can decrease your risk of injury and maintain or even increase the benefits, wouldn't that be something worth exploring? And that's what Kusha and I explore in today's episode of the Biohacking Secret Show. If you want to check out BFR bands and put them to work for you, I've been using them for almost a year now and uh, and they've been phenomenal. And Kusha and I go into some specific workouts that we use uh, ourselves in this episode. You can get a pair um, and save some dough by going to bfrshop.com. That's like blood flow restriction shop.com, bfrshop.com forward slash biohacks. And then just enter discount code biohacks, B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S, and you'll save yourself some money. And if you guys dig this episode, hop on over to iTunes and give us a five-star review. That's one of the ways that we get the Biohacking Secrets show out to more people and help empower other biohackers with this movement where we are taking control of our health and uplifting humanity through greater energy production and better performance. So head on over to iTunes. Let me know what you think about the episodes. I go on there and I read every single one of your comments and I appreciate each of them, um, even if I can't personally respond to every single one. So without further ado, give us that five-star review and then sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show with Kusha Karavandi. Hey everyone, I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. All right, biohackers, we're here to talk about how to use blood flow restriction to build strength and size and do it without using, without lifting heavy weights. And I'm here with Kusha Karavandi of BFR Bands. What's up, Kusha? Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm good, man. Thanks for hanging out. Um, so take us back a little bit. How did you, how'd you get into the health space? Um, and what was kind of the journey you went on to, to get us to where we're at today? Yeah. Yeah. You know, initially about, you know, probably 11 years ago now, I 
my initial kind of beginning uh, in the health space was as a personal trainer. I was working part-time at a gym while I was going to uh, University of California, San Diego, um, here in San Diego. And my goal was to get into, you know, medicine. I want to be an MD. And, um, and I just kind of found a career and a passion in fitness. I, I really, I felt like personal trainers are really today are, are really the front line of medicine you know, and, and I wasn't really happy with healthcare and what, you know, what kind of what you, I was learning pre-med and what I knew I would be learning as an MD that, uh, not to say there aren't many great MDs out there. I just knew for me, my passion was really more in the gym and in fitness. And I had always been really big into working out and strength training and fitness in high school and in college. So, so I knew it was kind of the right thing for me to stick there, uh, within there. And, and, um, and my career just kind of grew in that space. And, um, and then, you know, even as a trainer, you know, uh, I, I'm very like analytical. So for me, I'm really big on just studying and learning and, and, uh, I'm probably, you know, on my Colby, I'm probably a fact finder, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> and, cause I love just to absorb and read everything. And, and at the time I remember I was just getting one certification after another, uh, just because I wanted to, you know, kind of learn as much as I could learn to be able to help people the most that I could help yeah. them. So I had probably, I want to say like 12, you know, different nationally accredited certifications in the field, which for most gyms, most trainers don't really have that many because of the fact that they, they usually don't get paid more, you know, most trainers kind of stop after like two or three certifications. Cause that's usually like, you know, with their, their pay usually will max out after those three. But I just like very little impact <laughs> on what you make in a gym. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, most of the trainers, to be honest, that are making the most money are the ones that look the best because the clients that come to them want to look like them. So that's, yeah. that's kind of what I observed, but I just got addicted to the education that I just kept going and going. But the thing that I found that was kind of upsetting was that I, after every certification, they were all kind of saying the same thing. They were all just, they were all looking at the body like a robot, like your human body is mechanical. And it just felt like very limited. I had very, I, I always got kind of upset when clients needed help with something that I couldn't really help them with. They're, oh, I mean, my shoulder hurts and there's nothing I could do. And I didn't really understand pain neuroscience or any of that stuff. So it wasn't really until I started studying neurology and, and this whole, whole field of functional neurology you know, kind of beginning with a, uh, some courses with a guy named Dr. Cobb at Z Health in Arizona. That's kind of where it all began. That kind of changed my whole paradigm and my whole perspective because it was, it was when I kind of saw that, hey, you know, the body is mechanical, but actually the human being is a neurological machine. The brain is the CEO of the body and the brain is what governs all the other things, all the other systems. You know, your nervous system is like the king of all the other, uh, you know, 10 systems of the body. Like your you know, circulatory system and your digestive system and your musculoskeletal system, your nervous system is the king and the CEO. And, and none of the certifications, you know, none of the strength certifications or fitness certifications, none of them talk about that. They all talk about, you know, you got to do, you know, hip dominant exercise, or you got to do knee dominant, or you got to do squats, you got to do lunges. They all talk about the mechanics and things like that. And some of them are really good about getting into mechanics and they really teach you about those different nuances, but none of them really talk about kind of the stuff that you talk about, which are the biohacks, those levers that, that, you know, kind of like a friend of mine gave me an analogy. He's like, biohacking is kind of like when you put that lever in the right place in the mountain, it moves the whole mountain. It's uh, a good analogy. In training, <laughs> in training, you know, most of the time it's like, you know, you're trying to move a whole mountain by yourself, you know, inefficiently. And it, that's just not how it works. You don't really get results very quickly that way. And, uh, and a lot of times you get hurt and, so, you know, and you see all, you see this all the time in the gyms, right? You see trainers doing all kinds of absurd things with clients, having them do heavy squats while standing on a BOSU ball or 
Yeah, I see the craziest stuff at the gyms. And, and, and so and that's because that they're, they're taking the stuff they're learning from mechanics and, and stuff and these certifications and then, you know, and maybe kind of, you know, maybe getting overzealous with it or whatnot. But, but now it, it was after I kind of learned, you know, the, the kind of the functional neurology that it changed my whole perspective. And I started thinking about things like, okay, vision, you know, nobody talks about the eyes. I never thought, okay, you know, if I want to improve someone's running speed, for example, usually we would think about, okay, well, you know, what kind of footwear are they wearing? You know, uh, let's, let's look at their gait. You know, you go to stores like Roadrunner Sports, what do they do? They use a camera while you're on a treadmill to look at your gait pattern and heel strike and all that stuff. And, and all that stuff's important, but what they neglect is, well, maybe your brain is making you slow because you have poor peripheral vision. If you don't have good peripheral vision, which is going to have a higher requirement of, from your brain at higher speeds, then your brain will make you slower and your stamina will be lower and, uh-huh. and your endurance will be lower. So maybe what that person really needs as an endurance athlete uh, is they maybe need to do vision training, maybe need to be doing things for convergence or maybe need doing gaze fixation or saccades or peripheral vision. So maybe their homework is really nothing to do with mechanics, but more vision initially to begin with. And so that's really got the wheel spinning for me. And I just got sucked into this whole thing with functional neurology. And I started studying under Dr. Karazian and, and uh, yeah, I started going through Dr. Carrick and the Carrick Institute and, and um, yeah, just all these different fields and and education out there. And, and, And there's, there's a lot of great information out there on functional neurology. I highly recommend people kind of delve into that space because there's so much good information out there. But, but that's what really kind of started for me. I was really, you know, like I said, I was looking at vision training. I was looking at, uh, I was looking at things like the vestibular system, which is like your inner ear um, equilibrium system, kind of like, like your phone has an accelerometer, your vestibular system is like your brain's accelerometer. And, uh, and then looking at the proprioceptive system and the best analogy that I liked, which, um, I believe came from Dr. Cobb at Z health. He kind of used this analogy that your brain is like a GPS unit. Uh, and just like the GPS in a car, the GPS has a job to, uh, make a clear map of where your car is relative to space and time. But in order to do its job effectively and not create a blurry map, the GPS needs information from different satellites. And in this analogy, those satellites are your vision system, your vestibular system, and the third one is called your proprioceptive system, which is a fancy word for your body's nerve endings. And if you look at all the fitness industry, the entire fitness industry right now, even some of the best of the best out there, they're neglecting the first two completely, which are the most important. They're only looking at the proprioceptive system. They're looking at, okay, if this person's not flexible, so we need to get in there and do some rolfing, or we need to do some foam rolling, we need to do some deep tissue massage, we need to do static stretching. They're not looking at all at the neurology of it. They're not looking at, okay, maybe this person's tight because their brain is threatened and wants to keep that tight. Maybe to unlock it, we need to do something else. Maybe we need to do something related to vision, vestibular, or might be related to scars or something like that, you know, something completely different. So, um, so yeah, I just, I just got sucked into that old field and that kind of led me to, um, you know, kind of studying different topics like blood flow restriction training. I I love it. And you know, who's really big on some of the complex ways that our visual system integrates with our neurology and like influences our health and, and performance is, um, Andrew Huberman, the professor of neurobiology at Stanford. And, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. He came to our second biohacking week and went through it with us. And he did like a a two hour training. Um, He calls them 
what is, what's the name? He has a system that he's developed and he's probably going to be putting it in a book, but it uses a lot of um, activation of the eye muscle, both like in, you know, like the close range, far away. Um, and you look back to, I mean, this is something that's been around for a while, at least certain cultures knowing the importance of it, but not it being mainstream. Like even in yoga, when they're, we're, they're going into a meditative state, they're intentionally stretching the optic nerve. Like when they're looking up to, you know, the quote unquote third eye. And there's a lot of evidence showing that like just doing that where you're, you know, stretching the optic nerve vertically and, and, and getting more blood flow to that area can come with some, some pretty powerful health benefits. When you started realizing that there are all these blind spots, like we're only paying attention to, to, to proprioception, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, the, the vision system and the vestibular system also play a role. Um, how did you go deeper on that? Did you, did you go to studies? Did you start doing self-experimentation? Were you working with clients? How did that kind of uh, influence your approach? Yeah, it was, you know, I was working with clients, uh, you know, self-experimentation, definitely self-study, but a lot of it was just diving into more of that specific education. The leader in, in this field, I would say, is uh, Dr. Carrick at the Carrick Institute. Dr. Carrick is like, he's known as like the founder of functional neurology. And functional neurology kind of stems from a background in chiropractic because chiropractic kind of by virtue is really focused on the nervous system. Uh, but he, I think probably 30 years ago or something like that, maybe a little bit longer, he, uh, he really started expanding upon that and saying, you know, they're, they're, this is broader. You know, it's not just, you know, doing spinal manipulations. We have to, he was the one who was like, you know, we need to look at the entire nervous system and all the integrations between the other systems. And he started looking at vision training, vestibular training. He started doing, you know, things related to joint movement and and the skin, as well as supplementation, nutrition, Uh, all these different things came into play. So I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from the courses provided uh, by a, a, a couple guys named Dr. Brandon Brock and Dr. Karazian two guys that also I think were disciples, I think, of Dr. Carrick. So again, everyone kind of came from this guy, but they have some great courses of their own. They're functional neurology courses and there's some really, really great content. Some of the the content might be a little bit deep if you're not in a field of like medicine or working with patients and things like that. But I loved it regardless because I'm like, this is this is great. And from anything that could help me help my clients a little bit better, I was all for it because I was like, well, I, I want to be able to help them to the highest power or at the very least be able to, you know, help give them a better referral. Because the worst thing is if you don't really understand, well, you can't even refer them out to the right person. And you'd be surprised how many times I'm, I've re- referred them to who I thought, you know, people who I thought were specialists and even they couldn't help them. They couldn't really provide much information because a lot of those, these, these individuals were trained, you know, in, in you know, in Western medicine, the, um, the unfortunate reality is they're trained in silos. You know, the, the person who's trained in the gut doesn't really look at the brain and this, mm-hmm. you know, vice versa. The, 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 the psychiatrist who's giving you the person drugs for their depression is not saying, hey, you know, what are you eating? What's your diet? Maybe you have gut inflammation that's leading to your lack of serotonin production. Uh, which, is, it, which is really like madness. It is. It's crazy. I mean, I feel like all doctors really need to be specialists in the integrations of the body and, and all these different systems that integrate together. I know it's obviously difficult because they already have so much schooling involved and so many clinical hours involved, but I think there needs to be more there. And I think that 
out of all the different practitioners I've seen out there, I think that naturopathic doctors, NDs, they go through almost just as much schooling, probably as much, uh, probably more clinical hours, to be honest, than MDs. Uh, I think they're really good, but they still specialize a little bit more so in homeopathy. I would say DOs, doctors of osteopathy, are probably some of the best practitioners out there because they're a little bit more holistic you know, by virtue of what they do in terms of physical medicine. And, um, and also functional neurology, people who have kind of a specialty or a fellowship of, in functional neurology, those people tend to be pretty holistic in their approach. So those are, the, I would say, kind of the, the best types of practitioners out there. But yeah, I was kind of displeased to see that many of the times I'd referred my clients out, you know, they would just completely overlook some of the obvious things that I had seen or the things that I had learned from Carrick and, and you know, Dr. Karazi and so forth. So so yeah, it's just kind of the unfortunate state of uh, of the U.S. right now in terms of medicine, but it is getting better, I think. People are waking up, and, and that's a big part of of our mission is just to help people take back that control of their health and energy, and not feel like if something happens to them, they don't know what to do about it. That their their health and well being and energy is in someone else's hands. You know, it's a very it's a very disempowering mindset. And, um, and when people have even, even a basic understanding of like nutrition and movement and the nervous system, things like we're going to talk about today and, um, and an ability to apply hacks to like be that lever that moves the mountain. The irony is that a lot of times you don't need to even rely on other people. You don't need to, to, to go see the doctor every six months to look and make sure that there's nothing wrong with you. You know, you can tell cause you feel fucking amazing. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you you mentioned Dr. Brendan Brock, Dr. Karasian, who wrote. Um, he has a, a really good book that like why what's wrong with my brain or something like that or why won't my brain work? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I love that book. That's a really really good book. And in that book, he's got probably hundreds of like testimonials and case studies. Yeah, he's and, legit. It's really good stuff. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. And then those are what we would call biohacks because what yeah. they're doing is they're finding that shortest path, you know, the, the path of least resistance to success. That's what we all want. You know, why do we want to, who wants to spin their wheels to get stronger or get more fit or look better or feel better? Nobody wants to do that. They want to know what's the quickest solution. Exactly. And that's, you know, we, we were, uh, I was joking with someone cause I'm like, one of my clients who's actually uh, a neurologist, her and I were talking, I'm like, a lot of people assume I'm like anti-doctor, anti-prescription drugs. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm in favor of what it has the, the best safety profile, you know, the lowest risk, asymmetric risk, and what's likely to get the job done as easily as possible, as quickly and easily as possible without compromising that safety. It's just rare that that is prescription drugs or going to see a doctor. I'm like, doctors are great if you have an acute injury, a head trauma, a broken arm, something like that. If you're looking for like, not, not, Hey, keep me alive. I need to survive, but you want to thrive. That's, mm-hmm. that's biohacking. That's what we do, you know, and, and really exactly. help people take back, take back that power. I had um, like an old video that was talking about um, baking soda and some of the things they could do for the body. And like um, a hack that a lot of clients first turned me on to was using it when you're sick to like shorten the duration of colds. And, um, and, and there's, there's a, like Dr. Mark circus has a great book on sodium bicarbonate, which is baking soda and, uh, some of the, the health benefits there. But one of the women posted in the comment section and like a few hundred thousand people have seen this, this video, if not, um, more. And she wrote and she's like, 
She's like, doing this stuff will leave you in the ICU. This guy's going to kill somebody. Hmm. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, and I, I went to her profile, which I never do, man. You can't read the comments at all. Cause it's like super, <laughs> you get some stuff in there where you're like, Oh my gosh, am I that? <laughs> and um, I go to her profile and you know, it, it says that she's a nurse. And again, I have nothing against the, that practice. A lot of my clients and closest friends and colleagues are physicians and nurses. Mm-hmm. But I, I wrote back to her and I was like, I was like, go into the ICU from baking soda. And I'm like, when we have a hundred thousand people who die every year taking prescription drugs as directed, I'm like, you're freaking people out about baking soda. Baking soda. And I'm like, <laughs> when, when medical error is the third leading cause of death in the United States after cancer and heart disease. Yeah. I'm like, exactly. I'm like, and there's hundreds of studies referenced in Dr. Mark Circus's book, Sodium Bicarbonate. And I'm like, we could research those or we could fear monger. I'm like, you're right. Fear mongering sounds like a lot less work. And I was just like, mm-hmm. exactly. I'm like, okay, that's the last, exactly. yeah. that's the last flame war. <laughs> I, I let myself get sucked into it. But it's silly. Like the way that we think, you know what I mean? Putting a, putting a half a teaspoon of baking soda is going to send people to the ICU. You know, it's, it's silliness. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. Yeah, that's just the way it is. That's way that's the way they've learned, and that's the way they've been indoctrinated in their schooling, and and um, that's just kind of the 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 nature of of um, of that field is it's very science based. And if yeah. you go back, I mean, if you look at it's really funny if you look at some of the original texts and textbooks and stuff for doctors like in the early 1900s. It, it would actually, if you look at it, it looks like it was written by what we would consider a naturopathic doctor today, because it looks very holistic, very homeopathic, and yeah. and you know, and that's how things were. You know, back then, it's like the doctor would make a house call; they'd come to your home, and and it was a much more holistic process. And nowadays, you're going into an environment that's very sterile, and and you know, probably leading to uh, to infections by virtue of that. And and um, yeah, it's like you're, you you have somebody who who is trained in silos and trained heavily in the sciences that they're, they almost get tunnel vision. You know, they get blind, they have blind spots of their own that they're not seeing the bigger picture. And, um, and they think, you know, if you look at, you look at most uh, doctors, you know, most, most people who go to the doctor, you know, first of all, you end up waiting for what, 45 minutes on average, you end up waiting to see the doctor when you see them. I think the statistics I, I had heard were like the average doctor sees you for like eight minutes, yeah. which is not enough time to take three. Like, I don't know how, how, do, how in eight minutes I, I, I are, heard are eight, you able to ask I've heard eight, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's no like eight minutes is not enough time. Yeah. Exactly. Eight minutes is not enough time to be able to take I mean, a history even, on somebody. Even the stats that show 16 minutes, it's still not enough time. You know, like it's not enough time. Yeah, that's why I respect a lot of these other practitioners, like naturopathic doctors. They take minimum, I think, hour and a half on the first, you know, session with the patient because you got to take a deep history. Same with functional neurology; it might take minimum hour and a half, sometimes two, three hours to be able to take a deep enough history and look really at, holistically at everything. You got to be able to look at the whole picture to know what's going on to be able to identify, you know, where is this coming from? What's the root of this? Rather mm-hmm. than saying, you know. You know, you have to imagine this is a business too. So you're going to this person, their goal is to get you in and out quickly. And I've heard that they're trained in medical school to, you know, they're told like, don't make eye contact with the family because that will extend, you know, potentially the time you spend with them because they're going to ask questions and things like that. So they're trained to keep it short and keep it to the point. 
And so eight minutes, like we said, is not enough time, but but also, yeah, it's like they're not they're not taking a history and um, and they're they're not asking questions and they're just diagnosing. They're either by the end of those eight minutes, they're either prescribing something or referring you out for surgery or for something else. So I, I just don't feel like that's obviously an effective you know way of of taking care of somebody. It's not it's it's really great for like you said for emergencies. I'd rather be in the U.S. probably than anywhere else for emergency medicine. Absolutely. But, for optimal health and wellness and, and to, you know, to get the most out of life. I don't, I don't think you're going to get that from Western medicine traditionally. Yeah, I agree. And what a lot of people don't realize, and you kind of touched on it a bit was around in, in the early 1900s, like the American medical association was struggling financially. And, but the approach that they used was much more similar to as you mentioned, what would be considered like naturopathic medicine today, a well-rounded approach that wasn't pharmaceutical centered. And the Carnegie Foundation took over. They hired a guy, Abraham Flexner, to write something called the Flexner Report and, and really usher in the industrialization of medicine and the, the monetization of the medical field. And it, it's been roughly 100 years since that happened, but that's all people know right now. And that was when appointment times gradually got shortened and shortened and shortened. And that's when uh, the, I mean, a lot of physicians are put in a position by way of the system where they have no choice but to prescribe drugs. What else are you going to do? You know, you can't dig into someone's diet in eight to 16 minutes and even give a dietary recommendation. And that's assuming they've had more than 19 hours of nutritional training in medical school, which is the most recent statistics published. 19 hours, like someone, a teenager over the weekend could pick up a couple books and have more than 19 hours of nutrition training, just like hanging out, you know, Friday and Saturday reading. So it's, um, we put ourselves in a tough position and it, it's a lot like our political system and some of these other things where it's got to a point where we need to step back and say, all right, this isn't really serving us. And many people make that connection on their own for any variety of reasons and then say, and I think that's why, why biohacking and, um, and using some of these natural uh, interventions that, that get the most benefits with the least amount of work have come about. What turned you on to like blood flow restriction? What is blood flow restriction? Let's take a step back. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I started digging deeper into some of these um, strength and conditioning journals, I got certified at the time as a certified strength and conditioning specialist, the CSCS, which is kind of in the fitness industry. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of an acclaimed certification to have for whatever reason. So I, I got the certification, which got me access to these different journals. And, and I started seeing this stuff about blood flow restriction training. And I was like, what the heck is that? At, at first, you know, I, I was kind of like what most people do where I was like really skeptical. I'm like, that can't be good for you. Cutting off blood flow, you know, isn't the whole point of increasing blood flow. You know, that's, that's everyone's first reaction. And so you I never started hear anybody saying I want less blood flow to an area. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You think like, Oh my God, like, you know, unless like, unless you're like trying to save your limbs from, uh, you know, like in war from like losing your limbs, you know, and, and using a tourniquet, you, usually you don't think that cutting off blood flow is a good thing. So it was a little bit, you know, counterintuitive when I was reading about it. And then, you know, when I dug a little bit deeper, it's actually blood flow restriction training is a little bit of a misnomer. It's really actually, if you, if you termed it correctly, 
it would be blood flow modulation training. Because what you're doing, you know, when I read about it, the, the reason why it works is you're modulating venous blood return. So you have two kinds of blood flow. It's like a highway. You have blood flow going in from the arteries. So that's the blood flow coming into the limbs, going into the arms or legs. And then you have the blood flow coming out through the veins, which are a little bit more superficial, you know, more towards the surface. And when, when BFR training is done correctly, you're, you're pretty much only occluding or partially occluding the uh, venous blood return. And so that, that's, you know, when I was reading about this, that was the first thing that stood out to me as the first thing I understood. And the thing that really got my attention was that it wasn't actually anything new. You know, when I read it at the time, this must have been six years ago or so. I had realized that this has actually been around for you know half a century. It started really, I think, in Japan by this doctor who was using it with patients. These patients couldn't really do a whole lot. They couldn't do you know strength training in, in the gym. So he used blood pressure cuffs to do basically BFR training with them. And he was having them do just like wrist, you know, hand flexion, you know, toe curls, basic stuff they could do in a hospital or in a bed to help with muscle atrophy. And what he found was astonishing. He was seeing not only a prevention of atrophy, he was seeing hypertrophy. He was seeing muscle gain in them. He was seeing them gain size and strength in their, uh, in their limbs and in their body. And, and the, the really amazing thing is that, you know, they've had over 200 studies to date on this style of, of, uh, of training. And the amazing thing they found is not only does it have a local effect, you know, so if I wear the bands at the, on the upper arms or on the upper legs, obviously we know it's going to have an effect on my biceps and triceps or on my quads or hamstrings, of course. But one of the things that people didn't realize, it has a systemic effect, meaning it, it actually affects the whole body. It changes your brain chemistry and blood chemistry. It creates this whole cascade of kind of muscle building benefits in the body and, uh, and even fat, fat burning benefits as well in the body. And so that was one of those are a couple of the things that really stood out to me and got me really interested, really piqued my interest because I thought, wow, out of all the different biohacking things that someone could do, this could be really universally applicable because, you know, everyone needs to be more efficient. Everyone's trying to, nobody wants to waste time that they don't need to waste. And, uh, and there's just so many things you could do with it. Obviously people, you know, athletes could use it to become more athletic, get faster, you know, help with recovery time. Uh, people who are overtrained could help improve their, you know, their training by using it as active recovery. You know, people who don't want to lift heavy could be using this to gain muscle and strength. And anybody who wants to get bigger or stronger could be using it. So it has so many different applications to so many different types of people. I thought, wow, this is a really interesting biohack. And I just got sucked into it. And um, yeah, that, that was kind of like the, the tip of the iceberg for me. That's cool. So walk us through how it's done. And, and then like once implemented, the, the, the cascade, the, chemi- the biological cascade that starts to happen, um, mm-hmm. the neurological and, and bio- biological cascade that starts to happen within the body. Sure. So how, yeah. how do you use it? Yeah. So what you do is you put the band on the upper arm, usually just below the deltoid. So it kind of fits right where the, the shoulder and the bicep meet. Mm-hmm. And so you put it right there, you tighten it. You're supposed to tighten the bands to like a perceived level of seven. If you know, on a scale of one to 10, 10 feeling the tightest, you want to tighten it to about a feeling of a seven. And, um, and then, you know, one way you can also check to make sure you have optimal pressure is you can use something called capillary refill rate. So what you do is you press your thumb into the palm of your hand and you look at the color, you know, when you press in the 
palm of your hand, you see that you've turned your hand white where your thumb was pressing because you pushed the blood out. And you want to see how fast does it take for those capillaries to refill, for the color to refill. And it should take about two seconds. If it takes longer than three seconds, you're probably too tight. And if it's less than two seconds, probably a little bit too loose, not tight enough. So that's kind of an indicator that I would use before, during, and, and, you know, and towards the end of the workout to make sure I have optimal pressure the whole time. Uh, but yeah, you put them on those upper arms or upper legs. And, uh, and then what you do is you just, you do uh, about 15 to 20 minutes of exercise. Um, you're supposed to keep the bands on during that entire 15 to 20 minutes of duration. Uh, supposed to be about 15 minutes for upper body, about 20 minutes if you're training lower body, but you're doing very, very lightweight training or even just body weight training. Um, so you, you know, for example, if I'm doing upper body, I'll put the bands on my upper arms and I'll do, you know, bicep curls and tricep extensions, or I might do chest, uh, chest press or back rows or shoulder press, whatever it may be, whatever I'm trying to focus on, I'll be doing exercises for those, uh, for those muscle groups and you're training with high repetition. So you're trying to train to what's called volitional fatigue, which is basically kind of a way of saying muscle failure. You're trying to train to kind of voluntary muscle failure when you can't do any more good, you know, good reps. Uh, you're trying to do as many as you can, but a typical protocol is like 30 reps on the first set. So I'll, I'll do like 30 curls rest for about 10 to 20 seconds, you know, 30 seconds at the most. So short, short rest period. And then I'll do it again. But the second set, you sh if you, if you use the right amount of weight, you know, not, not too heavy, not too light. Uh, if you're using this lightweight, you should only be able to do about 15 to 20 reps on the second set. And on the third, you, uh, you rest again for about 10 to 20 seconds. And then on the third set, you're going to try to do another 10 to 15 reps and then you rest and then you'll do one more set, a fourth set of another like 10 to 15 reps or less. So that's kind of the goal It's like 30, 15, 15, 15 in that, in that kind of sequence for, for an exercise. That's kind of the way you can do it. But there's a lot of ways I've experienced, uh, experimented with it too. I've been experimenting with doing, you know, supersets, like doing, you know, uh, two bicep exercises back to back or a bicep tricep exercise back to back. Or, um, you know, like, like I mentioned before, you can, a lot of people don't realize you can actually use it for other muscle groups. A lot of people think that it's only really for arms, for biceps and triceps, but it's actually, you can, there's studies to show that it, it can increase your pec size. For example, there's a study that was done on bench press and they saw that still just wearing the bands on the upper arms and training the chest, they improved bench press and pec size and strength. Um, so there is a, like we talked about systemic effect. There's something happening widespread in the body when you're doing it. And, um, so yeah, so you can, you can affect other muscle groups other than just arms. And if we're talking about lower body, you can, you can affect the calves. If you have a hard time growing your calves, you can grow your calves by still wearing them. You still wear them in the same place all the time. You're either going to wear them at the top of the legs if you're training lower body or the top of the arms if you're doing upper body. If you're doing core, I would recommend wearing them like on the top of the legs because that's closest to the core area. But, uh, but that you're pretty much, you know, no matter what you're training, you're going to be wearing them in one of those two positions. And um, yeah, in terms of systemic effects, the, the things that happen, you know, the, the main reasons why it works, in my opinion, are number one, mechanical tension. So you have tension on the muscles. And so one of my, you know, from my functional neurology perspective, one of the are reasons you're why... Are you referring to the weight or the band? No, the band itself. So the mechanical the tension okay. of the band. Yeah. Gotcha. The tension gotcha. of the band. And so, you know, we know tension uh, on a muscle can help improve the firing and, and contract uh, contraction of the muscle. 
But one of my one of the other things I think really helps that nobody has really talked about in these studies. This is just kind of more my functional neurology perspective of it. Is that again going back to that that analogy of like the brain being a GPS? One of the things we didn't talk about is well, what happens if you're feeding the brain bad information? What if what if I have a blurry map? You know, let's say I'm on my phone all day or I'm on my computer all day, so my vision is not that great, or I'm feeding my brain bad information from vision, or I'm sitting too much, so I'm not getting good proprioceptive input. What's that doing? Well, that's going to create a blurry map. A blurry map means a threatened brain. A threatened brain means you're going to be tight. It means mm-hmm. that you're going to be weak. You're going to have a, a lower threshold for yourself to get weak. So that means when you're trying to do a heavy lift, you're going to hit a stopping point, this threshold that's going to trigger weakness. Or you're going to you know, trigger a, a threshold when you're running, if you're an endurance athlete, to trigger you know, uh, a, a stopping point, a wall in endurance or stamina. So you're going you're gonna to lower that threshold for yourself when you have a blurry map. And so one of the things I think it does is that mechanical tension is activating stretch receptors in the tissue. We call these mechanoreceptors, as well as pressure receptors, which are called baroreceptors. So you're activating these different receptors, which are sending signals to the brain, to these neurons, which are creating a clearer map for the brain. So you're improving map clarity for the brain. And again, if the brain has better clarity, the brain can do its number one job, which is safety and prediction. Performance is always going to take a backseat to safety and prediction. So if the brain can predict and keep you safe, it can say, you know what? I don't have to worry about this now because I know where you are. I know how to move your limbs. So I'm going to turn the volume down on pain and I'm going to turn the volume up on performance and strength. Is there, um, so there's a lot here. You talked about the brain as a battery which is pretty, pretty interesting. And like a lot of um, what I've been talking about now is just like being conscientious about the frequencies that we're exposed to, because it's not just like we are always putting out frequencies from the brain, like um, astrocyte cells in the brain, 70% of this, the brain cells are these astrocyte cells, which are actually projecting our electromagnetic frequency. It's coming from like the, mostly the brain, but we also get some from the heart. And you're talking about now that things like, activating these stress stretch receptors and do you say pressure receptors too mm-hmm. yeah baroreceptors as well yeah and so you can do that just with by applying a mechanical tension a band to the upper arm or the upper leg and mm-hmm. and this is going to have benefits even if you don't lift a single weight mm-hmm. you, technically even if you just if you if you took a compression band or you know used a, B, a bfr band on the upper arm or upper leg and even if you only made it you know 30% tight. Not even, we talked about before, like for BFR training, you want it to be about a seven on, on a scale of one to 10. If you just tighten it to about a three, you're going to increase strength on your regular lifts because you have some tension there. Having any kind of tension there is going to improve mapping and it's going to improve that contraction because just by virtue of improving that mapping. Uh, one of the reasons why this works too from a, neuro, from a neuroanatomy perspective is if you look at neuroanatomy if you look at the brain, you have these two slivers. You have the sensory cortex, and then right in front of that, towards the front of the brain, you have the motor cortex. And the way the brain feeds is brain receives blood flow and oxygen and nutrition from bottom to top, back to front. So if I stimulate sensation by, again, activating with tension, I'm getting sensory input, sensation. I'm going to, by virtue of that, Neurons that wire together, fire together by, by, by them being close to each other, I'm going to activate those motor neurons. So I'm going to get motor, better motor activation, better motor output when I'm doing the exercise. I'm going to be more accurate and have better motor acuity when I'm doing that exercise. 
So if I have, if, again, if I'm struggling with like, oh, you know what? I'm not really getting this good peak in my bicep or my calves don't develop right or whatever it may be, then tension will have a, a, a nice effect for that person because you're just improving sensation and, and clarity for the brain to know how to move. Mm-hmm. It, it's, um, you think about the benefits of like why most people are working out. It's because they want more muscle, right? Like they may say strength, but it's probably because they have a belief that if they're stronger, they're going to have more muscle underline it. And when, you know, when I've used your BFR bands, like the very first workout, I strapped them onto my arms, strapped them onto my legs. I was like, maybe I should have waited to like finish upper body before I strapped on the lower body ones. (laughs) And, um, and it basically gives you the feeling of like, we've all been to the gym where you go through the motions and you don't push yourself to failure or really challenge your muscles in a way that, that initiates that adaptive response where like you get bigger. And I mean, when I was a teenager, that was like all I did. And then I was like, why isn't this working so well? And then I realized, you know, you start reading Schwarzenegger and how, okay, it's it's really like that, those last few reps, maybe it's of your fourth set or your fifth set where the muscles feel like they're completely smoked and like, you can't give any more, um, that, that initiate growth and and Mm -hmm. hypertrophy. Exactly. When I was using your bands, the, the main thing I noticed is like, you feel like you're there sometimes in the first set. You know, you get to like that 20 oh, yeah. rep and you're like, I feel like I'm on my fifth set and I'm just done. But then you're resting 10 to 20 seconds and you're going in again. You're resting 10 to 20 seconds and you're going in again. So it almost, when getting your, your muscles into that, initiating that biochemical cascade and, and, and hormonal cascade that takes place when we're challenging our muscles in a way that doesn't exceed our ability to recover, but um, the bands just get you to that point quicker and allow you to spend way more time there, if that makes sense. That was, that was exactly. what I thought. Exactly. That's exactly it. If you look at like, you know, like Arnold and a lot of these bodybuilders, they're not doing CrossFit. They're not doing, you know, powerlifting. What they're doing is they're doing a lot of time under tension. And why do you need a lot of time under tension? Because to really get the maximum benefits to get to trigger size, to trigger hypertrophy, you need to, you know, activate those type two fast twitch muscle fibers. Mm-hmm. And the great analogy everyone always uses is like, you know, if you look at the marathoner, the marathoner is primarily type one uh, dominant. You know, they're mostly using their endurance, you know, slow twitch muscle fibers. They're, they're type one fibers. The sprinter, on the other hand, the sprinter, which is more, much more muscularly developed and uh, has much more muscular hypertrophy, is using much more type two fibers. They're more type two fast twitch dominant. And so in a traditional weight training session, you're, when you do an exercise, for example, if I'm doing like 10 sets of curls, the first like five, six reps, seven reps are primarily going to be from my type one slow twitch fibers. The ones that aren't really going to grow, they're not going to lead to huge strength gains. I'm using those and type one fibers are highly reliant on oxygen for energy. And so if I wear these BFR bands, I'm slowing the oxygen flow. Again, I'm modulating the oxygen flow. So now blood flow is getting in. I'm actually enhancing the pump. So you're, you're increasing the pump. You're saturating the area with nutrient rich blood flow, but you're also altering kind of the composition of oxygen for the type one fibers. So the type one fibers, like you said, they exhaust immediately, very quickly after like rep one or two, the type one fibers have to take, you know, have to sit down take the bench and hand it over to the type two fibers, which kick in and, and again, type two fibers normally don't kick in till much later and not, and you normally don't kick in unless you're using much heavier or more explosive, uh, movements. So mm-hmm. it, 
that's the interesting thing here is that your type two fibers are kicking in sooner and with very, very lightweight or no weight at all, just body weight. So that's which, kind of the beauty of it. Is, which is great, especially as we get older, because any injury can set you back six to eight plus weeks. And if you're able to get the same health benefits, the same hormonal and health cascade, and I'd be interested to talk to you about that. Does it have the same uh, hormonal effects as like getting under, you know, 225 pounds or 300 pounds on a barbell, you know, cause we, we, we know some of the benefits that that has on, on testosterone uh, production mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. Do we still get that? Because I would imagine the, the muscular strength is the, the, the muscular demand is, is probably similar. Um, but is putting the nervous system under stress. You know, you're squatting 415 pounds or something like that. Can you, can you get the nervous system, the hormonal, the muscular benefits with much lighter weight and actually decrease your risk of injury so that you can spend more time doing the stuff you love and having fun and playing and, and not like, oh, I'm in the gym making tons of progress. Now I'm hurt again. Oh, I'm in, you know, I'm back in CrossFit hitting, hitting my, uh, PRs and, uh, I'm injured again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have kind of three points on that topic. My, my first point, I always tell everybody because anytime we've, you know, ever kind of talked about, you know, especially on like social media, you always get these trolls who are like, Oh my God, that's, that's so stupid. Why don't you just lift heavy? And they're like, if you just want to get bigger and stronger, just lift heavy. And they're always like, they're always under 40. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's always like somebody who's like 18 years old and in their prime and they don't understand like, oh, first of all, not everyone wants to or can go heavy all the time. Just wait, you You shouldn't just be constantly going heavier and heavier and heavier till the end of time. Like your body needs, you should have some undulation to your, to your program, to your periodization. But, but aside from that, the first thing I always say to everybody, because I I feel like a lot of companies don't do this enough and and it angers me as a consumer is that there is no panacea. There's no silver bullet. And, and I don't ever want anyone to think that this is going to be like some infomercial type of product where, oh, this is a silver bullet. This is going to fix all your problems. You can sit at home and sit on the couch and eat junk food and be unhealthy. And all you got to do is some wrist curls with no weight and you're going to get, you're going to look like Arnold. That's not going to happen. You know, this will, this will have many benefits for people who can't do a whole lot of exercise. But in terms of if you're looking for, okay, am I going to get the same benefit for my body and for my testosterone and for my legs? as doing, you know, 225 pound squats or 315 on the squats, it's not going to be the same in terms of strength. Number one, because I, I'm a firm believer in the said principle, specific adaptations to impose demands. So whatever, whatever we do to the body, if we want that result, we should do exactly that thing. If we want to get better, you know, at, at, at lifting heavy weight with our legs, we should lift more heavy weight with the legs. But I think from a, a strength perspective, I think that this is going to be really valuable because again, one of the things no one really talks about is the effect on the neurology. If I think one of the biggest reasons people are kind of held back from strength is not because that they're just weak and they can't squat more. It, they actually probably could squat more, but number one, they, they probably their form probably needs a little bit of work. So that's probably number one. They probably need a little work with their form. But number two, even if they have good form, sometimes your form, you know, consciously can't get any better because your unconscious mind, your brain is threatened all the time because it's, it's reached its threshold when you're doing these squats that you're kind of going past where your brain has mapped that you can go. Your brain, remember, has a map of the, of the body and of, the, of actually the muscle fibers. So your brain, when you're squatting, your brain is saying, uh-oh, I think you've actually passed 
kind of as far as my map shows. So I, you're kind of an unknown territory, so I can't protect you. This is how you get injured. And this is how you hit kind of that, that governor switch. Like you see in a car, you hit that governor switch that says, uh-uh, I got to limit you. You can't lift any more heavy weight than this. So I feel like that's kind of the reason why BFR training really helps unlock higher levels of strength, yeah, especially for people who have kind of weak areas, maybe weak on their shoulder press or weak on their squats or weak on their bench press. It really helps unlock that because it's helping with modulating neural threat. You're bringing that threat level down and you're increasing mapping so the brain feels safer. So you're getting much better motor control and muscle activation. I think that's the big part of it. From a hypertrophy perspective, from a size perspective, I think it's going to have very similar results because of the fact that when you're doing BFR training, you're saturating the, the body, you're saturating that area with lactate. And the minute you get this saturation of hydrogen ions and lactate, that's when you feel the burning sensation. The hydrogen ions come in, they change the electrical charges in that area, they, and the lactate comes in and triggers um, IGF-1 receptors, which triggers an increase in IGF-1. It, uh, it signals the brain and the pituitary gland to secrete more growth hormone. Um, it signals the release of the brain uh, to release something called vascular endothelial growth factor, VEGF, which not only helps with neuroplasticity, but a big thing it does, it increases... Uh, the the blood vessel elasticity. So doing BFR training is actually going to actually improve your circulation, believe it or not. So when you're doing BFR training, even though you think, oh, I'm cutting off blood flow, I'm hurting blood flow. No, you're actually training your body. It's like almost like wearing a weight vest on your circulatory system and training your circulatory system to come back stronger and better and more efficient. So by virtue of all these mechanisms, you're creating this systemic effect in the whole body that's going to help kind of prime your body and have that right anabolic state to help grow and have the protein synthesis and the size and the fat metabolism that you would get from doing heavy squats. But here's the thing. My third point that I want to mention is that it works best when you do it in tandem. So this is another thing that a lot of internet trolls will be like, oh my God, this is so stupid. I would never just do it by itself. You don't have to. You don't have to do BFR training as a standalone. Some people do and some people like to, but I always recommend, and me personally, I use it as, as a bolt-on. At the end of my normal heavy routine, I'm doing about 15 minutes of BFR training to, as, a, as a finisher to the workout. And I'm doing that about three to four days a week. And, and when I do my cardio, a lot of my cardio even, I'll just do simple walking at an incline and wear the BFR bands on the legs to make the body think that I went for, you know, went sprinting, went for a run. So, so I'm using it as a bolt onto a current routine to, uh, to amplify the effects. And a lot of the studies where they, they did both, that's where they got the best results. So if you want to see the best results in terms of size and strength and, um, and fat loss and everything, you should really kind of think about using this as a tandem to wh whatever your current program is. So like, you're not saying this is, this is the way to train. You're saying incorporating this hack into your resistance training will produce better overall results than without it. Exactly. Exactly. This can be used as a bolt-on to almost any kind of routine. Unless, unless the routine you're doing is already kind of putting you in a state of overtraining, then you probably don't need to do any more exercise at the end of that routine. But even then, I mean, you can always probably find a way to factor it into your workouts. Like me, for example, one of my favorite things to do with it, like I mentioned, is I like to do it during cardio because a lot of times for me, you know, I'm getting cardio when I'm doing my weight training a lot of the times, you know, in terms of like actual cardiovascular activity. Yeah. So, and, and, uh, and I, I know in your book, you talked about like doing five days a week of, of, uh, you know, high intensity, you know, longer cardio where your heart rate is elevated, you know, for at least 25 minutes. I like doing that too, because it's, it's really good for strength because it helps, you know, circulate more of those strength building nutrients better. 
But a lot of times too, when, for me, when I'm thinking of cardio, I like to do cardio as a, uh, almost like meditation. I like to use it as a time of parasympathetic response. I like to, you know, we're always talking about, you know, toning the nervous system up. Nobody ever really talks about recovery. And what, what about the other side of that coin? What about recovery tactics like cryotherapy and hot sauna and, uh, and BFR training, BFR walk training? These things can help just kind of tone the mind to help you recover better so you can come back stronger and sleep better and all those things. Totally. You're not, you're not in this state of like chronically elevated stress hormones like cortisol that are just slowing down your body's ability to recover. Um, how do you, so I've never used the bands with cardio. I didn't even know you could. Um, what is, what's the most popular or, or most, um, most supported methodology for using the bands with cardio? Yeah, walk training is probably the most supported right now. I know that a lot of athletes will use it for specific, you know, athletic movements and agility drills and all kinds of stuff. I mean, you could do almost anything with it. You could do cycling with it. You you could do anything you could possibly imagine. Um, I probably wouldn't do plyometrics or anything too explosive with it. Um, but for the average person, I would recommend walk training is the best. We actually not only not only is there a study, there's several studies on katsu walk training. Uh, you know, the, the Japanese guy who kind of invented this methodology, he calls it katsu because katsu in Japanese stands for additional pressure. Uh, and so there's some studies on katsu walk training, which yielded some great results for, for leg size and strength. But uh, we actually had a study done at Texas A&M University on our bands, on the our specific bands, the ones you have. And they did a walk study. So they took these guys, these are military trained fit guys. So the results they experience, you can't attribute it to you know people who just have new adaptations to a new routine. These guys are already working out hard. They've been working out for a long time. And all they had them do is wear our bands on their upper legs while walking for 20 minutes, three days a week for six weeks. That's all they did. That's the only thing they, they changed is 20 minutes of walking, three days a week for six weeks. And at the end of the study, they saw uh, sig- significant results with regard to increases in VO2 max, they decreased their 1.5 mile run time. So they got faster um, and they increased uh, leg circumference. So the legs had hypertrophy, they got bigger. So they saw all these different changes just from walking. And, and so that's why I'm a big fan of it. Cause again, if you're looking for efficiency and getting, you know, kind of the most out of the shortest amount of time for me, you know, I'm getting my, my workout during the weight training workout and my cardio it's still somewhat of my workout, but my cardio again is more of my kind of my recovery period. It's that, that's the time for me to kind of, read or get, you know, meditate or kind of organize my thoughts and kind of tone down and stimulate that parasympathetic response while still making gains. I love it. I, I do the same type of cardiovascular training, like where I'll, I'll actually put on certain like meditation audios or, um, binaural beats that act like that help and train your brain to a theta state and, um, and just zone out and like, and go in and just kind of feel what's going on in my body. Um, I, I, this could be cool though, just to go for a, you know, a walking meditation, 20 minutes wearing these things. Um, you said three days a week, 20 minutes saw produced increased VO2 max decreased a 1.5 mile runtime, which is kind of surprising and, and increased hypertrophy. So their legs got bigger as well. Um, what do you want to be feeling? Like what sensations? I know, I know what, what I want to be feeling with the weights part. What do I want to be feeling with the cardio part? Yeah, with the cardio, again, it's going to be very similar. If you're wearing the bands at the appropriate pressure, like for me, I'll walk at an incline of like 8 to 10% incline at about, you know, maybe close to 3, 3.2 miles an hour, nothing super crazy. 
leisurely walk, but you'll feel like, oh my God, my legs feel like exhausted. Like it almost feels like you're walking through water. Shit, like, you're, you're, on like, you're, like, you're, <laughs> you're on a treadmill at an incline too. Just got a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll walk, you know, it won't, I don't usually make it super, super easy on, unless it's like a true active kind of recovery week. Like every eight weeks or so, I kind of take a deload week and I just do only BFR training and, and really, really easy cardio to make it more of an active recovery week. But but, you know, I do try to challenge a little bit. And uh, so, again, I'll do like, you know, sometimes I'll bring the, the incline down a little bit less than that, but typically somewhere between 6 to 10% grade, something like that. And, you know, somewhere between like 2.8, 3.2 miles an hour, some, somewhere in that range. And, and yeah, it feels like initially, you know, you, if you have the appropriate pressure, your legs get tired fast. And you're like, wow, this should be pretty easy. I'm just walking and it's not a fast pace. I'm not running. Yeah. And your legs get exhausted in the first five minutes. You're like, Oh my God, my legs feel like I'm, I'm really struggling here. Just walking. <laughs> I mean, they're getting really tired. And after a certain amount of time, you get a little bit used to it. That's why you have to start, you know, maybe making it a little bit more challenging, increasing the speed or the grade a little bit. Like any workout, just like as you get like stronger, any- you make it, you get to where it's still a challenge. Yep, exactly. You have to adapt it to as your body adapts. In the study, were they walking on, uh, were they doing incline walking on a treadmill? Uh, no, they were just doing regular treadmill, regular uh, flat walking. It wasn't, wasn't incline walking. On a treadmill or outdoors? Uh, it was on a treadmill. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. That's cool. Um, you, you've, you've, covered a few of the things that happen in the body and you mentioned hydrogen ions and, and that's the role that they play in our nervous system and, um, the, you know, our body's charge and all of that just once through, let's say we've got the bands on upper and lower body and we're doing weight training. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, do you ever do the two? I guess you, you probably wouldn't have enough time to bounce back and forth. Cause then the, like the upper body, if you were doing upper and lower or something, the upper body would have more time, too much time to recover while you were working the lower body. Yeah. Yeah. I would actually split it up. So you don't want to wear all four, you don't want to wear uh, bands on all four limbs at once. So you want to only wear them on just the upper body or just the lower body. So I would recommend if, you know, crank out the upper body first, then move them to the lower body and crank out the lower body, you know, 20 minutes upper, 20 minutes lower. Uh, yeah. If you want to do it that way, I would probably, you know, I would probably separate them on different days. I would probably do upper body on one day and lower body on another day, to be honest, that'd be better. Okay. Cause you're really supposed to limit your, your time under, uh, you know, BFR for about 15 to 20 minutes. Uh, so same thing with the, with the walking, like I wouldn't want to do an upper body weight training workout for 20 minutes with the bands, then strap on the lower ones and walk on the treadmill for 20 minutes. You probably could, to be honest, because you're doing, you know, two different parts of the body. Like you just did your upper body for about 20 minutes and now you're going to go walk for 20 minutes. That's probably fine. That's usually what I do, to be honest. Okay. But you, probably wouldn't, you probably wouldn't want to do, you know, a heavy, a really hard weight training session for your upper body with the, the bands and then do this exact same thing 20 minutes for your lower body with the bands. Gotcha. It's going to be much more taxing than just walking. You know, walking is going to be fairly easy. Okay. Beautiful. Um, what, what other research and applications are you excited about for, for blood flow modulation, uh, training, blood flow restriction training, whatever uh, vernacular you prefer? Yeah, we're having actually a lot of research done with our, you know, we have always new prototypes we're testing out. So one of the things that I want to test out is, you know, you've seen our new, our Pro X bands. These are these bands here. These new bands, we actually... Yeah, uh, those, are, those are great, man. That's huge improvements. 
Huge. Yeah. We wanted yeah. to make it so that not only was the buckle designed to be absolutely pinch free, everything's beveled. So it's all pinch free, but I also want it to be super easy to tighten with one hand. So now we have a one way kind of pulled it, just pulled the tightened yeah, uh, mechanism. So super easy to slide it on and you just pull to tighten it. And actually even the ones I sent you since then, uh, I've actually enhanced it again. So what I did is I added Velcro. Now we, we have a new patent. Ah, that was the one thing that, yes, yeah. it needed. That. I still, I was like, I don't like tucking this into the, you know, we have a loop to tuck the slack and I still don't like that. So Dude, I said, you know what? Got, you're in the gym. You've got your headphones <laughs> on sometimes a cord and you're trying to tighten the band and like, you know, it's like you're putting a tourniquet on yourself and exactly. Uh, yeah, the last thing you want to try to do is figure out how do I get this, you know, Houdini, this thing. I, to the I just let him, I just let him dangle. I, I just like, let him dangle. That's what I end up doing. I'm like, ah, whatever. It's such a short workout anyway that I'm like, I don't even mess with it. I just, I, most of the time I just let him hang. So yeah. I changed the design, which we're going to update for almost all of our products to where now we have Velcro on the loop. So the loop itself is actually adjustable. So you can adjust that to wherever you want. And we have it on the end of the band. So now you can literally just slide it on and tighten it. And then you just tap the uh, Velcro. Velcro can move too. You can slide the Velcro to where you can slide the Velcro to where you want it to be. That's cool. Technically you could slide it. Actually, another cool thing you do is you could slide it around in front of the buckle so that if you wanted to double wrap it to get higher pressure, you could have it so that it's, it'll actually hold it in place. So you actually get even more pressure from the slack. The slack will create more pressure. Oh, that's great, man. I have a feeling if, if, if we got to look outside your podcast studio, your place would look a lot like uh, Doc's lab from Back to the Future. It does. Yeah, it's a lot like that. There's all kinds of yeah, robots and stuff. No. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, we're doing a lot of cool studies with these particular bands. Um, and, you know, you've seen the markings. We have markings on them. So you can not only track your pressure from workout to workout, but also train with symmetry. And one of the cool things I really like about these bands that you haven't seen a whole lot of literature on or a whole lot of stuff on just anywhere, really. Is, is really using it for like drop sets. So one of the things I'm experimenting right now is, you know, wearing the bands really kind of at a base pressure with almost no tightness, just having them just kind of on my arm ready to go. So they're just comfortably on my arm. So not tight, maybe a level one on a scale of one to 10. I'll do my heavy bench press, for example, I'll put two weights on there, 225, do a set of 10 and then drop set, drop, you know, a 45 on each side or whatever it may be tighten the bands to a level seven on a scale of one to 10. And then I'll bang out a set of 30 and do a drop set because, because these are so easy to go, you know, from no pressure to full pressure so quickly that you can actually do that with these bands now, whereas it's kind of more challenging to do before because in the past, you know, you were either using a, a, an expensive contraption, which was really slow to fill up with air and you didn't want to take it off till you were done. I was going to ask about that. If there was, if there were compression based variations, yeah, you know, with a lot of the stuff, like I actually have what's called the Katsu device, which I highly recommend. I'm actually a certified Katsu specialist. And uh, it's a really nice device. It's expensive. It's, you know, at least a few thousand dollars. It's really designed, in my opinion, for practitioners. If you're a trainer, you know, a doctor, something along those lines. And, you know, uh, people like it because it's, it's very precise in terms of um, how much air is going in. You know, they ah. use, they don't actually, it doesn't read out in terms of millimeters of mercury of pressure. Uh, you know, cause like pressure on a blood pressure cuff is red in terms of uh, yeah. mercury, but the Katsu device uses its own kind of units. They call them Katsu units. So <laughs> again, it's kind of like, it's very similar to the numbers on our band. It's really designed for, you know, consistency and, and for, for tracking. So, you know, yeah. okay. I mean, as long as you have a baseline, you can get a general. Exactly. For, exactly. Yeah. Some kind of a baseline. That's what it was established for. Um, yeah, so that that's that. There's devices like Katsu. There's other devices like that out there on the market and things like that. 
but again, it's for a lot of people, they're, they're not very practical. And so, you know, that's why we wanted to try to make something that's as practical as possible for the average Joe. And, um, and we surprisingly, believe it or not, we have a lot of doctors that, that I get emails all the time. Like I love seeing these emails. They always make my day, but we get emails all the time from doctors and chiropractors and physical therapists and strength coaches. They're saying that they're using our bands, you know, they buy them in bulk and they, they use them with their patients or clients and they're loving the results. So I think having the marking system and some of these features has made it very, very practical and efficient and then even opened up some opportunities again for them to experiment with some different modalities. So we're seeing a lot of that happening right now. But yeah, we're having a lot of different research done in actually in Florida by an MD and his team. Um, they're having some research done out there right now on these bands, as well as our quad wraps, which are kind of like almost like knee wraps, but they're different material and they have uh, numbers on them as well. And and then uh, I have a prototype of a uh, of a cold band. So it actually, it's something you put in the freezer. So we have a patent on this new prototype where nice. uh, you put this thing in the freezer and it, it stays cold for a few hours. And you, you, you know, and the idea would be that when you want to go work out, you take them out. We'd it'd probably come in some kind of an insulated bag to keep them cold when you go to the gym. But you're now you're taking not only compression and pressure from the tightening the band, but now you're also getting the the added uh, benefit of of cold of temperature. And I, I the thing that I really want to see that I believe will make a difference is the cold is going to help improve vascular. Uh, occlusion even better because you know you whenever you you're cold you constrict the blood vessels that's just a natural mechanisms of cold and so um yeah there's already some studies and some stuff out there like there's this big contraption like forty thousand dollar machine called the vasper device and the vasper device kind of combines all of that it's this it's like a almost like a cycling machine yeah. where you're there and you wear these blood pressure cuffs on the arms and legs and it provides cold it provides compression, you know, you're getting all these different things at the same time. And so I have a feeling it's going to have kind of a similar type of response for the body like that. You're, you're reading my mind today. There's been like two or three moments where I've gone, I've, I've written down something that you've reminded me of, and then you've covered it like 10 seconds later. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, each time I'm like, see, read my fucking, are you in my head? <laughs> yeah. What was the name of that? <laughs> I was thinking about that. Like, it's like a recumbent bike or an exercise bike, but your legs are in ice and compression almost like it's like combining the game day machine um mm -hmm. that a lot of like nfl players use for recovery but you're also exercising on a bike so you've got like this compression and cold and exercise what's the name of that uh, it's called the vasper v-a-s-p-e-r vasper uh, machine and yeah again it's really expensive but it's really efficient so for the right you know for the right type of setting it makes a lot of sense because they can help a lot of athletes or patients and things like that um, I also really like the biodensity machine I don't know if you ever heard of that that's a cool yeah device. Tony Robbins is a big advocate of that it's yeah that's right yeah he has one those are the same kind of thing it's like 30 40 grand something like that and uh, again it's really efficient though because you're just doing isometrics isometrics are proven for strength and and for releasing growth hormone and uh, yeah it's a short kind of efficient workout so it's kind of along the same line where it's designed to be very quick and short, but provide a, a, a vast benefit quickly. The biodensity machine, that doesn't utilize cold as well, does it? No, the only thing it has is, I think, unless they've changed it, you know, the only thing it really has is um, you do a, a push, like a chest press, you do a core pull, a leg press, and a deadlift type of motion, but you're not moving. It's all isometric. So you're literally just static pressing against this device. And it has this huge monitor, which has like, almost kind of like a, a speedometer on your car. It shows you how many pounds you're lifting. So it's kind of cool. It's like gamified a little bit because you want to, it records your results. So every week you want to yeah. beat it, you want to get stronger. Uh, uh, I need a bigger house. Taxing. 
Probably. You're only doing it for like 10 seconds. You know, you can actually, you can play with the time under tension. Like the standard is like five or 10 seconds, but I know the founder of the machine, I think he does like 40 seconds or something crazy of like constant pushing. It's exhausting. After you, if you do like 20 seconds of all those four like major lifts and just do all out 110% exertion, everything yeah. you've got into that, you're, you're actually pretty tired after that. Uh, yeah, I can imagine. So you've used <laughs> both the Vesper machine and the biodensity machine? I haven't used Vasper yet. I've only seen it and read about it, but I have used a biodensity machine several times. Yeah. Nice. And and so you liked the biodensity machine. Um, and is that something where if, if a listener would like to try it, is there like, are there like biodensity practitioners or um, where you can go to a center and try it or like, or do you got to pony up 40 K? No, I think you could probably, I haven't looked at this in a long time, but I think on their website, I'm sure that both of those probably have um, a map of like locations they're in. Uh, you know, we used to have it in the gym that I was working at at the time. We used to have it here in, in San Diego. They're, I don't know if they still have it there or not, but um, I know that they had it here in San Diego at a gym. So I'm sure they probably have some kind of a, a, a you know location map where you can find out if the gym near you has one or not. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, if there's probably not one near you, you got to you know dish out the money and go get one. I, I think in a lot of those cases, again, you know, my goal is to try to kind of provide tools that that can get similar benefits or very close to the same benefits with uh, more practicality. You know, yeah, that's 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 what I'm seeing here. I mean, just those two machines alone, you're probably looking at sixty to hundred k, and and with the bands, I throw those in my gym bag. I pull them out, strap them on, get a workout in. You're done in twenty minutes, and you're you're completely toast, like in a good way. You're walking out of there like mm-hmm. you know some some caricature of a of a bodybuilder because your arms are just flooded with blood or your legs are just flooded with blood. The um the quadricep or the knee bands that you're releasing, they're just, just north of the knee. Uh, no, the, the, we have them, they're available now. We call them quad wraps because they wrap around like three or four times the leg, just kind of like knee wraps. You wrap them around. They're long enough to wrap around the limb several times. Uh, so we have two versions of our leg bands. We have double wraps, which are half the length. So you only wrap twice. So it's very quick. But some people like me, I have bigger legs, so I want a little bit more pressure. So I use the quad wraps. And so they, they wrap around a few times, but you still wear them. No matter what, you always wear them at the top of the leg, right below the gluteal folds, right below the glutes at the very top of the thigh. You still wear them in the same exact place, uh, no matter what you're doing for lower body. I see a lot of people making mistakes of like wearing them near the joint. Like if you're training forearms, they wear them near the elbow or if they're doing calves, they wear them near the knee. And you don't want to do that because you have a lot of nerve endings there. There's a lot, there's a high density of nerves there and you don't want to put pressure on those nerves in that area there. So you don't, and there's no need to do it. So there's no benefit to doing that there. It's just kind of a misconception. If you're going to be training some of these auxiliary muscle groups or or more distal muscle groups, then uh, you still want to wear them at the top of the arms or top of the legs. Tell me about safety because I'm, I'm sure some, some people are like, I'm all in. I want to try it. I want to get these benefits. And other people are like, ah, you're cutting off blood flow. Like I'm still having a hard time ra- wrapping my head around how that can be safe. What are we seeing in, in the literature um, and the research about the, the safety profile of, of blood flow modulation? Um, and, uh, and what have you seen like in the field? Mm-hmm, yeah. The thing, the key thing is that as long as you're not a pregnant woman or, you know, as long as you don't have, you know, deep vein thrombosis or some type of circulatory disease or, or, uh, you know, neurogenic disease, something along those lines, if you're a healthy individual, you have nothing to worry about because 
what they found in a lot of these studies, like one study, for example, is a Scandinavian study. They found that, uh, you know, BFR training, they found because by virtue of using light weights or just body weight, they actually found that it's just as safe, if not safe, lifting without the bands with moderate or heavy weight. You're more likely to get injured, you know, lifting with moderate or heavy weight in the gym regularly than you are to injure yourself, you know, training with, you know, walking on a treadmill, for example, with, with these bands on your legs. Again, you have to be sensible. You have to listen to your body. And so that's a lot of what we talk about, you know, with our material that come with, with the bands. We talk about, you know, when to know when it's too tight. If you feel numbness or tingling, obviously they're too tight and, you know, remove them. Uh, but if you feel, you know, a, a, a level seven or if you're checking your, again, if you're checking your refill rate on, on your hands and if you're training legs, you'd press into uh, the inside of the knee. They call that the vastus medialis oblique, the VMO. You press there. And as long as you're checking those things and, and you don't feel anything odd or any numbness or tingling, and as long as you're feeling normal sensations like muscle burning and things like that while you're working out, then you have nothing to worry about because, again, you're lifting with light weight. It's very unlikely you're going to have any you know negative effects from doing that. You're more likely to injure yourself lifting heavy weight in the gym without the bands. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a deep burn for sure, but in a good way. It's the, it's the feeling that, that we chase because after years of realizing what doesn't work, you realize, oh, okay, if I, if I get myself uncomfortable in the workout session, it's going to get me, you know, get me that hypertrophy and, and, and growth and, and a lot of those health benefits that I really want. Um, and if you value your time, then you want to show up and get it in and, and, and get back to your life. Um, Kusha, what are we doing for people that want to check out the bands? Yeah, uh, I, I think they can check them out at, you know, bfrshop.com slash biohacks. Uh, I believe we have a, a coupon code. I think it's just biohacks, right? Something like that. Yeah, it sounds right. We usually make them biohacks. <laughs> yeah, I believe it's biohacks. And um, I think they get an additional discount. They get like another 10% off um, uh, using that, that coupon code uh, biohacks at bfrshop.com slash biohacks. Nice. BF, BFR blood flow restriction shop.com slash biohacks, B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S. And uh, that's where they can go pick up their uh, their bands and kind of experience these benefits. Like it's actually from from everything I've digested in this conversation, they're, they're a lot safer in many cases than not using them. And like the very concerns that people have about, is it safe to cut off blood flow are, are outweighed by the fact that they're decreasing the mechanical load that's necessary in order to create the same uh, hermetic response in, in the muscle tissue. Exactly. I actually find it makes me safer working out in general because again, like for me, and this might be true for, for many people that like when you do certain lifts that you're weak on, like I'm usually I was weak on shoulders. Like in the past I was, I was like my Achilles heel was my, my shoulders, like heavy shoulder pressing. And again, I think a lot of it was because my brain was getting threatened, didn't really have good mapping or whatever it may be. And so, you know, lifting heavy with shoulders and anytime I'd push it and do heavy shoulder press, eventually I'd end up getting kind of injured or straining. Uh, but ever since I started integrating the BFR bands and doing lightweight with, with uh, shoulder presses and kind of inoculating that threat of that shoulder press and that movement, I actually came back stronger several weeks, not even having done heavy shoulder pressing for several weeks or a month later, came back stronger, much stronger than I'd ever been before. So I actually feel like it makes you, not only does it make you stronger, but it actually helps kind of inoculate a lot of the, the threat and prevent some of the injuries that might happen 
normally through normal traditional heavyweight training. Is, is there anything in the future that you anticipate blood flow modulation or blood flow restriction being used for that's not, you know, that that's, that's outside of hypertrophy and putting on size? Uh, I, you know, I, I know that they're using it initially, they use it mostly for recovery. That's kind of where it began. So I, I think that there's going to be a lot more research on how it's going to help people with recovery and different types of, you know, different types of groups and, and, you know, different, you know, different states and what, what it will help with and how, what kind of impact it will make. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's going to have a major impact on, you know, things like circulation and things like, um, improving oxygen transport and nutrient, nutrient transport. I think it's going to have a major impact on all those things. So even whether you're a bodybuilder or you're an endurance athlete or, you know, and, and you just want to increase your stamina and endurance, I think it's going to make an impact on, on kind of both. And, and you get those recovery circulatory, um, O2 transport and nutrient transport benefits just by doing the, the types of workouts, upper body strength, lower body strength on separate days, the, the lower body cardio incline walking can be done on the same day that you do upper body lifting. You apply that and you're going to get all of those benefits. Yeah, I, I think so. Again, you have to have, you know, you want to have the foundation in place, right? You know, you can't really have a house without the foundation of the house. And the foundation is you got to have a sound program you're following to begin with. Right. And you have to have progression and periodization. So if you're just doing the same thing week in and week out, never really challenging yourself, never really pushing yourself, you might not see results. I've had people, you know, reach out to me and they did just a little bit and they had tremendous results. And once in a while, I'll get someone who reaches out. I had a guy reach out who was like in his fifties or sixties and he's like, Oh, I haven't grown at all. This doesn't work. And I'm like, well, you know, what are you eating? Well, what does your sleep look like? There's just so many variables. I'm like, what does your training look like? And sure enough, when he revealed what he was doing for training, he's been doing the same kind of, you know, basically moderate training routine for three months. And I'm like, you're not going to grow if you don't challenge your body. Again, I always say this is not a panacea. There's just not a silver bullet. It's not going to work unless you put in effort. You know, BFR training makes things more efficient for you, but efficient doesn't mean easy. You know, nothing in life is going to be, you know, provide a reward without some level of effort. You still have to put some effort out. There's still going to be muscle burn, things like that. So even though, again, even though the standard protocol that we provide with the bands, we provide a workout program and, and a standard protocol, even though the standard protocol is like typically to do three to four sets of like somewhere between 15 to 30 reps, sometimes you got to do more. Like sometimes for me, for certain things, I might have to do 10 sets, four to four to 10 sets of an exercise. Yeah. I might have to do 50 reps depending on what I'm doing. So, so sometimes you kind of have to experience. Someone's, like, someone's all hopped up on wind straw. They're going to need a little bit more to get them to that exhaustion. Yeah, point. exactly. And, if you're using some performance enhancement stuff, yeah, you're going to have to do a little bit more. Yeah. So you have to kind of, you know, and sometimes you got to do less. Sometimes you're like, oh, you know what? That's maybe too much for that. And I don't know the individual, you know, we can't, we can't say without really diving into the individual. So some people might have to do only two sets and they might do 20 reps each. So it just kind of depends, but you have to just use common sense and listen to your body. That's the key thing is, listen to your body and see, you know, am I challenging myself today or, you know, vice versa? Am I overdoing it today? Am I overtraining? Sage advice. Kusha, where can people keep up with you? And, uh, you know, is it, is it on the social networks um, and the things that you've got? I mean, you've always got new stuff in the works that you're testing and innovating with, uh, with, with your BFR blood flow modulation training. Where's the best way for them to, to stay up to date with all that? 
Yeah, they can always obviously subscribe at bfrshop.com. We have a newsletter there on our email list. You know, I, I send I send I, I send something out weekly on the blog. So we're always publishing weekly. Me and some of the writers um, will we'll have some good content related to these topics and also related to other topics like the functional neurology and things like that. Uh, but also the main place really and kind of my main outlet that I have the most fun with is Instagram. So that's BFR Bands. Uh, oh, sorry, that's Instagram.com slash BFR underscore bands are our BFR underscore bands. Beautiful. And uh, for the people that want to jump on board with you and I and uh, start seeing the benefits of BFR training themselves, go to bfrshop.com forward slash biohacks and uh, discount code biohacks saves you some dough. Kusha, this has been awesome, man. Lots of uh, I mean, the, the nerds are going to are, are gonna dig it and dive in. Um, and even <laughs> aren't nerds are going to maybe be looking up a few words here and there, but they'll like it too. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Hopefully. Good. All right. Thanks buddy. Good hanging out. This episode is brought to you by the dream spa. What is the dream spa? You ask? Well, let me give you a little bit of a background because it will provide some context to the mechanisms for how this machine works and how it can help you. So scientifically, light is a nutrient for the body, and just as plants need sunlight to thrive, humans need light to maintain health and well-being. Human cells are activated by particular frequencies and wavelengths of light absorbed as photons. Albert Einstein even received the Nobel Prize and changed the course of physics for his incredible discovery on how photons, these fundamental particles of light, interact with matter, known as the photoelectric effect. His discovery laid the groundwork for our understanding of the vital role light plays in our biology. So human cells are activated by fundamental particles of light called photons. And at the cellular level, these photons influence our mitochondria, which are the little energy powerhouses in our cells that produce ATP to produce energy. The photons produced by the dream spa are absorbed by the body through the skin and acupuncture points. The fiber optic properties of connective tissue in our bodies conduct this light and channel it throughout the body. Cells in the human body go through approximately 100,000 chemical reactions per second, and these are not random events, but actually a highly controlled process in which the light acts as the communicator that makes the reactions happen at the right moment and at the right place. So in contrast to the chaotic light produced, for example, by an electric light bulb, biophotonic waves are coherent, which allows them to be modulated and act as information carriers in the body. It stimulates cellular repair and regeneration, recharging the body like a battery and helping to reboot the brain. It's also very helpful with managing stress and maintaining a cool, calm, relaxed state of being. The Dream Spa system, it's comprehensive and a natural solution to the effects of aging and stress like overcoming low energy, fatigue, poor sleep, stress, moodiness, brain fog, aches and pains, as well as the physical signs of aging like lines and fine lines, wrinkles, and hair loss. It's based on over 30 years of research by NASA, the National Institute of Health, universities and researchers around the world in the fields of biophotonics, bioenergetics, photobiomodulation, tissue optics, cellular communication, phototherapy, stress management, and anti-aging. I use my dream spa three to four times a week, typically while meditating. And now for a limited time, you can save 10% on your dream spa by entering the discount code biohacks, that's B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S, at www.lighthealth.com 
research.com during checkout. Once again, that website is light, L-I-G-H-T, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, research, R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com, and you enter discount code biohacks to save 10% on your dream spot. 